0: The Epistle reading for the twelfth Sunday after Pentecost from Romans chapter 11. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Now I am speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous, and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? As regards the gospel, they are enemies of God for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Just as you are at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience. So they too have now been disobedient in order, that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel in St. Matthew, the 15th chapter. Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is the gospel of the Lord. We now have our
1: Lord Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Again, greetings to all. I'm glad to be back from my little vacation this past week or so. And special greetings to all of our returning teachers and Newly appointed and called teachers especially, thank you for the music and not only that, but of course the great blessings you will bring to our ministry here in this upcoming year. Two weeks ago, I preached a sermon about the importance of Israel. In that sermon, I focused mostly on Israel's past. I pointed out how the very name Israel is the embodiment of the gospel, The word Israel means the one who wrestles with God. Why would we wrestle with God? Who can obviously beat us. We wrestle with God, or maybe I should say, He wrestles with us. To wrestle us to this point of repentance and to forgiveness and to salvation. That's the way it has always been for Israel, and that culminates in Jesus, the Son of Israel and the Son of God. God condescended to call this nation his own people, to adopt them, to give them many promises, and to bring forth from them the Messiah and salvation for all nations, not only for them. Romans chapters 9 through 11 really go over this in a lot of detail. And it's important, as complicated as it can be sometimes. To understand this, and I hope tonight and as well as the sermon from two weeks ago and Pastor Packer's sermon last week as well, I hope it helps to tie some important things together. God often uses Israel an example for us because the way he deals with Israel in the past and present and future is the way he also deals with us. I'm going to be reading a number of verses from Romans chapter 11. As I said two weeks ago, your homework assignment is to go home this evening and after, maybe this weekend, tomorrow. Just read those three chapters. I want to begin with this lesson out of these three chapters. First lesson, God's word is true. And then the second lesson will be that God doesn't, he never goes back on his promises let me give you three reasons to believe that God's Word is true. One is what I would call a prophetic truth, a prophetic testimony. That's the one that ties especially in to the people of Israel. Another one, I won't spend much time on this, would be the archaeological testimony of the truth of God's Word. And then I'd like to spend a little more time on a third reason to believe that the Bible is God's Word and it is not lying to you in any way, and that is because of its purpose, its divine purpose to bring salvation. But before I go into each of those three reasons to believe the Bible is true, let me just stress how incredibly important this is. The devil attacks always at the Word of God to divert God's people away from him about a year and a half ago one of our oldest members who just reached the age of a hundred years died Bob Teich Graber. Bob was a bit of a a legend around here as some of you may know uh, because he was shot down over Germany in World War II and he was put in German prisoner of war camps he escaped twice out of those camps I think that's right His last escape was the most bizarre of all. He and a buddy escaped and found themselves in the middle of all things, the Battle of the Bulge. They crawled out to a machine gun nest, which happened to be a German machine gun nest. Thankfully, the Germans had run away and actually left their eggs frying on a little stove there. They were so hungry quickly gobbled them up. But Bob and his buddy had a big thing they had to decide, and that is, where are the Americans and the Allied forces, and where are the Germans? They have no map. They have no clue what's going on. They are just hearing all sorts of gunfire and artillery, and they needed to know the dividing line. The dividing line between whether they would be saved or whether they would be killed or perhaps put back in that prisoner of war camp. I want to stress to all of us that we are faced with a similar, actually a much, much bigger issue every day of our lives, and that is to know the dividing line between God and all the enemies of God. It's important for us to realize there's a spiritual war going on around us at all times. And so, I want to begin by recognizing the truth of God and His Word and His ways by looking at, as I said, the prophetic testimony of the Bible. This is simply something that's an easy concept to understand. God says things will happen, and they happen. And the whole Bible is a story of that over and over and over and over again. Israel wrestled with God. Some of them repented and some of them did not repent. Some of them were tempted by the nations that were all around them. And God destroyed those nations, wiped them off the face of the earth. Nations like the Canaanites, the Assyrians, and the Babylonians. They are nothing more than memories in history today but God also said while he severely punished Israel in its unrepentance he did not wipe them off the face of the earth and this is one of the things that Paul is pointing out in these chapters about the relationship between Israel and all the other nations of the world and God's plan of salvation here again these words God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars and I alone am left and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so then at this present time, There is a remnant according to the election of grace. God keeps His promises to His people and the prophetic reality and testimony is important for us to see. And that's where Paul begins. We believe that. It's the truth. And another reason, as I mentioned, to believe in the truth of Scripture is simply... Uh, coming up out of the earth every year. Uh, Archaeological evidences of the reality of the Bible, the reality of Israel and real history. Inscriptions, coins, pottery, governmental records, wars, famines, customs, travel, food, even weather accounts. One of the most recent discoveries that popped up in Israel had to do with a guy in the Old Testament we know as Gideon, who also had a kind of a bizarre nickname, Jerubbabel. And lo and behold, that nickname recently appeared on a piece of ancient pottery. But the third reason to believe that the Bible is true, not just because it is prophetic and the prophecies of God come true, is especially the divine purpose of the Bible. To all, Paul said in the opening verses of Romans who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a book to be believed because of its purpose, not to make you rich or popular or powerful, but to bring you peace with God. It is, again, showing us where we stand in the great spiritual battle of the bulge that is constantly going on in the world around us. On one side, there is a way that ends in peace. It is the way of repentance and the way of forgiveness in Christ. And on the other side is the way that ends in destruction and separation from God. This is what Paul will later talk about when he talks about not by works, but by grace are we saved. And so we have to look into our own hearts, and as we look into our own hearts, we can ask ourselves, which side of that battle line are we on? In our hearts, do we see pride and the assumption that we are okay and that God will reward us? Or when we look in our hearts, do we see sin, repentance, and the need, and above all, the desire for forgiveness. This is the whole purpose of the Bible, and this is the only book that I know of on the face of this earth that addresses this great question and this great war and leads you to the way of victory and salvation in Christ. And so I urge everyone who hears me to believe it and to trust in it. Now, the other thing about this relationship between Israel and all the rest of the nations, as I alluded to it already before, is that God always keeps His promises. And so this is what Paul says about Israel. Romans chapter 11, beginning at verse 26, and so all Israel b- will be saved. As it is written, though he's quoting a prophet, prophet Isaiah chapter 59, the deliverer, will come out of zion that's another name for israel the deliverer will come out of zion and he will turn what's his purpose he will turn ungodliness from jacob another name for israel for this is my covenant with them when i take away their sins see this is god's whole point in the bible is to take away our sins to take us away from the slavery of the devil, and to give us freedom in grace and life in the Spirit. Concerning the gospel, Paul says, about unrepentant Israel, they are enemies for your sake. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. The Deliverer that Isaiah speaks of is Jesus. The one who lived, the one who died and rose again to take away ungodliness, not only for Jacob and Israel, but for all the nations through the forgiveness of sins. As I mentioned, I just got back from a vacation to Colorado and there were many wonderful things about that vacation. A lot of hiking, a lot of mountains, I um, even got to see a bear this time. He was about 200 yards away and moving in the opposite direction, so that was good. But when I go out of this little Christian bubble uh, that I live in every day of the week called Good Shepherd Lutheran Church, and I get out into your world where you live every day of the week, when I'm surrounded by so many people who are really. Don't think they care very much about everything I'm talking about right now, about everything our church stands for, about everything our school stands for, about the need for forgiveness of sins. My heart, like Paul's heart, breaks. Paul said he was sorrowful for his countrymen, and I would say the same thing as well. But the reason Paul talks about this and stresses the importance of this is so that we, like the first disciples, would not be influenced by the majority of indifferent people, and sometimes, in many cases, hostile people. I often wear a cross around my neck, and I think I actually had a Christian guy come up to me and he said, You know, I notice you wear this cross a lot. and I've heard different things about that, whether Christians should still wear crosses or not. You know, why, why would somebody even think that today? Well, we all know why people would think that today, because I see it with my own eyes. I go into different places, especially, again, breaking away out of my bubble here, and I wear this cross or another cross like it, and there's typically three responses that I can immediately pick up uh, by facial gestures and comments that people make. The first response is a good one. People sometimes smile and say, "Hey, I like your cross. Uh, Yeah, it's an olive wood cross, and pretty neat. You know, olive trees are unusual trees. You can cut them down, and they can come back to life again, just like Jesus died and rose again from the dead. Gives me a little opportunity to affirm the truth of the gospel." Some people look at it like it's nothing, like it's just a shark's tooth or a yin-yang symbol or something like that. They probably have no even clue what, what it even means. But then there's a third response, and there are some who literally do not like this. They do not like what this symbolizes, a symbol of the call to repentance and the promise of forgiveness in the one, the Son of God, who died on the cross Paul said, concerning the gospel, it doesn't matter whether Jewish or Gentiles, concerning the gospel, these who are unrepentant are enemies. Yet, Paul goes on, and here's where we come to the really the most important part of this whole section of the Bible. Even so, these also now have been disobedient. That through the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience, that he might have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out that through the mercy God has shown to me and to you, God is still reaching out to all of the world around us. And bringing people to that peace with God, to repentance and forgiveness. Paul said he was the worst of these enemies of the gospel. And we know in his life that he certainly was until he was brought to that battle line on the road to Damascus. And he realized really who he was in the sight of God and how he needed God's forgiveness. And unbelievably, God gave that forgiveness to him. One by one, more and more disciples have crossed that line. We have heard of the one tonight in the gospel lesson, the Canaanite woman, again, an ancient enemy of Israel. And yet, she comes to Jesus pleading for help, knowing that he was the only one that could help her with her demon-possessed child. And so, Jesus commended her about her faithfulness to God because this is what God is all about. He has promised to save Israel and through Israel, all of the nations. As he says in chapter 10 and as we heard last weekend, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, Jew or Gentile, will be saved. You notice at the end of our liturgy, there's a little box and inside at the bottom of that little box, there's a mission statement about the purpose of our church. Churches have various ways of saying this but they all basically mean the same thing. Our purpose is to call the sheep that have not yet been called and also to teach and sustain and strengthen the sheep that have been called, that have been brought into God's kingdom and to his grace in his son Jesus. This is what our Christian school is all about and this is why our teachers spend so much time teaching both the old in the New Testaments, Israel of the past, Israel of the present, and Israel of the future, and especially that gospel of the great Son of Israel, Jesus Himself. Whether received with joy or rejected with indifference or even bitterness, it is still real, it is still true, and God still has His plan to fulfill. His Word is true. He never goes back on His promises. He says things will happen, and they happen. For of Him and through Him and to Him, He ends this entire section by saying, Are all things. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Please rise.